Um, so for those of you who are new and do not know my name, my name is uh, TJ Anagarin. Yeah, it's actually short for Tony Jr. And my, you know, my real name is Antonio, so, yeah. That's actually my, uh, my what I go on my, my stage name, you know, it's my real name, so. Uh, and I think that's more appropriate when you're on a stage, you know, to be, so. Um, I'm the associate pastor here at Blue Water, which is um, one of the best, uh, most crazy jobs that anybody could ever have. You know, sometimes I would find myself, you know, in the midst of an amazing ministry moment. Sometimes I'm driving down the freeway with my truck loaded with like tons of Kleenex things that was donated to the church or tons of coffee. And often I'm asking myself, how did I end up here? Um, so that's the joy of being an associate pastor. I also uh, get to support our senior pastor, Jordan, um, and it's a, such a wonderful thing to share life with him, to share an office with him, to kind of soak up what's going on spiritually, so I'm very thankful for that. Uh, Jordan is actually on the mainland. Uh, um, if you've been around uh, for the past couple of weeks uh, or year or so, you know that uh, his dad, Jerry, has been uh, experiencing brain tumors, uh, and he's recently had surgery, so Jordan uh, went up there this past week uh, to take care of his dad. So uh, give the Sayings a big hug. You can uh, uh, give Nana a big hug, and she really appreciates the company. Um, but, and thank you for supporting our pastor in that way. Um, and I will be supporting him this morning by preaching the sermon. Uh, which I haven't done in like, uh, I don't know, two years or so. But, you know, last week Ben Roethlisberger injured his knee, uh, but Michael Vick was ready to take the reins. He never, he, he didn't think he would be uh, going to be a starting quarterback again, but he's relishing the opportunity. So um, I'm relishing this opportunity today. Yeah. Um, and, it's, and it's a great it's a great sermon series. We're continuing the sermon series on discipleship, which I love. And we've, we've been focusing really on reaching out, going out. Um, and it's one of my favorite subjects because I am constantly trying to share the goodness and the kingdom of God with anybody I encounter. And I have this theory in life, and everything proceeds from it, is that everybody in life, anybody in this world is desperate for a true connection to God, no matter, no matter what their belief is. And I approach every single person with that attitude, whether I'm uh, in a play, whether I'm on a set, whether uh, I meet somebody on the road uh, who says they do not believe in God, they do not have that theology, uh, I still know that they have a deep hunger for God, so I'm constantly uh, searching for that way to lovingly bring that to them. And this is what the sermon is about today. How do we constantly bring the love of Jesus to people 
who don't even believe or who might be in a place where they have believed for a long time, but they're just going through the motions and they feel stuck. Last week, we talked about the Matthew parties. And what I loved about the past couple of weeks is we've been talking about Jesus going out of the system and gathering people in. And I love those stories. Um, And as I reflect on it and I consider it more and more, I kind of came up with this conclusion this week that there is no Jesus ministry without a stranger. What do you think of that? Jesus said that he came to, uh, not, not for the healthy, but for the sick. Um, so as I, as I go back and I think about significant interactions in Jesus' life, I see him ministering to those who feel like they've been on the outside. And that he's made that a priority. Uh, so when this week I received my preaching assignment, I was totally happy because um, Jordan said, you know, you are preaching on Jesus cleansing the temple. And I was like, that's great because um, I have a a lot of authority to preach that because I'm a really angry and fiery guy. Like, (laughs) if if you know me and, you know, maybe you you ask me for advice or something like that, I will mow you down. In fact, I often walk into church and I just want to, you know, if I see things going on that's wrong, I want to kick over the speakers or I want to, like, rearrange everything. Um, So I feel like, you know, I have a lot of authority to preach this sermon. And um, as I said, I, I, I love the stories of Jesus going out and I love the stories of Jesus being generous, welcoming, loving, Um, So I get a great opportunity to preach on Jesus being enraged. How does that work? I don't know. I'm going to figure it out right now. So So, so join me in on this journey. Um, uh, Look on the back of your bulletin. It'll be on the big screen here. This is from Mark chapter 11, verse 15 through 19. Um, And I'll give you a little bit of time context for this sermon, uh, this action here. Uh, This takes place on a very famous week in Jesus' life called uh, the Passion Week. This is on Palm Sunday. So it's after he has triumphantly ridden into Jerusalem his disciples said, don't go into Jerusalem, they're going to kill you. And Jesus said, "Um, I'm going into Jerusalem. I'm going in as a king, but not as a king uh, with that fights in war, but as a very humble king. So this is where it's taking place. So he rides in on a donkey. People are um, waving palm fronds saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. We all know that story. And after that, He comes to the temple, dun-dun-dun, and um, actually that was the day before. This is the next day. So he comes back to the temple, and it says, On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. Very generous, very welcoming, (laughs) 
He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. Wow, that's a, that's a fairly strong scene. That's a fairly strong teaching. So here I am uh, this week looking at the script, um, seeing Jesus make room for the outsider, uh, the outcast, to, to pick somebody out and say, um, follow me. That person follows him, transforms their life, and then they party together. And now um, he comes into a temple and calls everybody a den of thieves. How do I reconcile that? What, what, what Jesus is that? Um, well, first, um, to get down to that, we have to kind of look at some of the details in the context of the, of the story. And the first thing we need to understand is the significance of the temple. Um, so I'm just going to give you some quick information to understand the text. Um, the temple in Jerusalem was everything for the Jews. The temple was a, the religious center of the nation as well as its political and cultural capital. Um, so I'm trying to think of what we could compare it to. I would say maybe it would be like a combination of the Vatican uh, plus Harvard uh, plus uh, the Lincoln Center in New York. Uh, plus the Viper Room, maybe in L.A., plus um, the uh, uh, Washington, D.C. All of those things, like Jewish life circled around the center of the temple, and in the middle of the temple was the presence of God. So essentially... Back then, people could travel to the center and encounter God. How cool is that? Um, and outside of this temple, they built a really big patio, a big lanai or outer courts. And this was set up specifically for the Gentiles. So specifically for people who were not uh, religiously clean to encounter the presence of God. If we have God in the center um, in the beginning, God. Uh, and then uh, he chose um, the nation of Israel to, show, to have an example of what it would look like for people to be ruled by God. And it was a good plan. Um, and then on the outer court, because God was always looking for a way to include, uh, he, made, he made a patio, a lanai, for people that wanted to come to experience the center uh, of the universe, God. Um, now, what was the problem that Jesus had? Well, uh, the gent Gentile court was being, being crowded with commercial services. 
Um, As a convenience, temple authorities sold sacrificial lambs and doves and other items so travelers coming from far away didn't have to hassle. So this was Passover, um, and once a year, everybody from the nation of Israel would come come together, they would celebrate God, um, but part of the requirement was they were to bring a sacrifice. And sometimes people traveled from far, far off, And in order to fulfill that sacrifice, they may have had to bring some doves. Um, If they had enough money, they may have to bring bring a lamb. But I don't know about you, but, you know, coming from a far away place with a lamb might take a long time. (laughs) Um, Or if you had some doves, you know, carrying them in like a little dove container, then you would feel bad for the doves because they were all cooped up. So I would probably like tie like little leashes to the, to the doves. My, my wife's a, um, an animal lover. She wouldn't want them cooped up. So maybe we would like, you know, walk the doves to the temple. Um, so I think what they were doing was a really good convenience, you know. You didn't, you didn't have to um, take that trouble. The most important thing was that you would get to the center, offer your sacrifice, and worship God. That's, that's such a great thing to do, you know. The, the temple merchants are making God accessible. The, the other thing uh, that was happening was uh, the money of the land was Caesar's coin. And on the coin had Caesar's face. But in the temples or in the presence of God, a carven image wasn't allowed. So... Um, you would come into the temple, you want to get your sacrifice, uh, you couldn't bring your coin in, so you would change your Caesar money for religious coins. It's like, you know, when you go to Fun Factory or something like that. <laughs> I can't use my quarters, I got to change my quarters and make it to Fun Factory. Or if I go to the carnival, I can't use my money, I got to change it into scripts. Kind of like that. Um, so... What they were doing isn't really bad. Um, I think you could say that they were helping make the presence of God accessible to people. I think that's a good thing. I think that's, that's what I try and do um, every day at church. You know, I, I want to make sure that you, people feel comfortable when they come in, that, that parking's all right, that there's coffee. You know, like that, that's things that will help people uh, connect with the Lord. Um, And I don't think Jesus was really mad at that. Um, I think most sermons would say that when I I read this passage, um, it says that business is bad and, um, you know, worship the Lord, so let's, like, not do any business. I I think that's a poor reading of it. Um, I don't necessarily think Jesus was rebuking that. I think there is something much deeper going down and going down and... I think it had something to do with the motivation and the practice and the habits and the convenience that the temple was offering, what they were projecting to the world uh, to try and do a good thing for God. They were projecting, come in, worship God, uh, we'll, we'll make it possible, but they didn't realize um, that there's just so much space that's available. And so I believe that Jesus was upset that the space designed for the seeker was being crowded out. What do you think about that? Then 
Then, then, I, I'm, I'm starting to see it now. There is no Jesus ministry without the outsider. Outsiders, so he goes out and he gathers the outsider and says, you are not an outsider. God does not view you on the periphery. You are in the center of my life. I view you as the center of my life. And so what was happening in the, the temple, the temple designed to be a picture of God's presence on earth, God at the center, those people around him naturally would be closest to God. Um, and then we're kind of crowding out the area so that others can't really come in. I think Jesus is, in his generosity, he's reorganizing things. He's begin, he is saying, um, church, uh, my people, don't forget that you were once an outsider. You were once on the periphery, and I brought you in. You are to follow me, model your life after me, look on the periphery, make room for the people that I love, and I am so passionate about it. I think the clue to his whole thesis statement of this teaching is that my house should be a house of prayer for all nations. I love how simple Jesus makes the spiritual life. First of all, he claims God's space to be his house. It's a house. It's a place where we host people. It's a place where we're comfortable. That's awesome. Uh, secondly, very simply, it should be a place of prayer. What is prayer in its most simplest form? God talks to me, I talk to God. Simple. For all nations, um, what does that mean? Should we go to Indonesia and gather people in and tell them about Jesus? Yes. Um, but is that all we should do? No. Um, all nations mean to me um, that I should be going uh, to my neighbor, to uh, the people in this community, to the windward side, to the North Shore, and saying, come inside. Do you realize that Jesus is focusing on you? I, for me, all nations does not mean someone who's like me, you know, someone who's like my wife, Johanna, or someone like Auntie Brenda, or someone like you, 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 you. All nations is all nations. God has a heart for it. And I think that's super good news. I think that Jesus coming in, setting things right in the temple, saying, reorganize yourself. Um, it's much easier than that. Provide a place where you can talk to God and gather people in. And I think it's a poignant sermon for this time in the life of our body. Um, we've been discussing discipleship. We've been discussing going out um, and sharing our faith. Um, and all of us have begun reorganizing life to do that. And I think that's a good thing. Um, but I do think 
that there is a temptation to view this teaching in a wrong way. I do think uh, we could be tempted to view the teaching as, if I do not do something right, Jesus will come in and kick down everything and say, you know, like, you're not doing it right, get it right. I, I, I think that's a temptation. Um, but I, I don't think that's the right way to view it. Um, let me say it like this. Um, if you feel stuck in something, if you're trying to do something new in, in ministry, if you're organizing your life and you begin to feel kind of the temptation to be angry at God, um, don't do it. Uh, because uh, Jesus is safe and he's actually freeing us from those things that we are trying to reorganize. Maybe there's a habit, uh, a convenience. Maybe there's something that is standing between you, uh, the presence of God, um, prayer, and people, and you know that you should be doing that. You know you should be making, simplifying life worshiping the Lord, inviting people in, but maybe there's something that's standing there. Um, I would say the good news about this scripture is that Jesus will get you unstuck. And you can feel safe in that. Um, let's turn to the text again uh, to see how uh, I came up with this crazy conclusion. So uh, I'm going to take you back a little bit um, to the day before, the temple. The day before the temple uh, was what I was describing. He, Jesus had ridden into town and people were saying, Hosanna in the highest, uh, and his first stop is the temple. So he comes into town, there's a lot of excitement. There's people pumped up. Jesus is going gonna, gonna to set things right. Uh, and then in verse 11, it says that Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went to the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Curious. So uh, Jesus was planning this whole thing the whole time. You know, he goes into the temple, maybe he's going to do the teaching now. He realizes, no, this is not the right time. He's planning. Um, <clears throat> I'll pick it up a couple verses before our uh, scripture. Um, the next day, so this is after he checks everything out, it says, the next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree in um, Seen in the distance a fig tree, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Wow, so that's, that's pretty harsh. So Jesus, uh, the whole time he's planning the teaching, he enters the temple courts, he sees that it's not the right time. He leaves the city. He comes back. 
He's preparing again. He sees a fig tree not fruiting, and he says, you're never going to fruit again. That's curious. What is he doing there? Another clue um, that I found is that um, it says that Jesus was hungry. That's so fascinating because when I read the scripture, um, I don't hear it often talked about that Jesus is hungry. In fact, I think it's kind of the opposite. Um, Let's take it all the way back to before he starts his ministry. He fasts for 40 days, and um, Satan comes to him and says, um, eat this bread. And what does Jesus say? He says, um, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. So in a sense, there's a, there's a certain temptation of fill your stomach, you're, you know, you're hungry. And Jesus answered, is it not written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word comes from the mouth of God. Interesting. Food was not his top priority. Uh, another place which uh, Jesus, where food is not his top, top priority, is when he reaches out to the Samaritan woman, um, the woman at the well. They have a great conversation. Uh, she ends up transforming her life and becoming the first missionary. Um, The disciples come and they see um, a very strange interaction going on and the first thing they say is, Jesus, eat. They're worried maybe that he didn't eat, um, but he says, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Hmm. So what does this mean? that Mark tells us that he is hungry. I think that Mark is saying um, the physical actions, the the physical things going on can't be the only reading of this text. When Jesus uh, spoke about hunger, he talked about doing the will of God. So in that statement, I believe that Jesus is saying I'm hungry. I'm hungry to do the will of God. And here is something that, and I'm going to do a sign. I'm going to say that the fig tree is not going to, is cursed. Um, Don't worry about that right now, but know that I'm hungry. And so he goes to the temple courts, hungry to do the will of God. Um, And as we think about it, let's adjust our minds to to think of the physical reflecting the spiritual. He's hungry, not in a physical sense. He's hungry in a spiritual sense. So he comes, and it says that he drives people out. He overturns. He prohibits people from walking in with merchandise. And then he spoke. So I would say that's four teachings, not just the the verbal teaching, my house should be a house of prayer for all nations, but uh, his physical actions are all a teaching. Driving out, overturning, prohibiting, and, uh, and then the teaching. All this to say is that us, we as a church, as we organize our life and there's stuff standing in front of us that we just don't quite know how to move. Um, And we're tempted to see Jesus as someone who will kind of kick things over and um, 
you know, lord it over us. Uh, what he's really, what, what I'm seeing here is that he's saying that all things are spiritual. I have a plan. I am not raging against you. I have a plan for you, and it's to be spiritual, uh, and you are to be a house of prayer for all nations. And the way to do that is I'm going to come into your house where I live, this temple, um, and if you've invited me in, I may drive some things out. I may overturn some things. And I may prohibit you to do some things. Now, if we look at those three actions and we look at the Jesus ministry, he's been doing this the whole time so that people would be free. Um, the, the famous demoniac um, who was shackled in the graves, uh, shackled in the graveyard, uh, he was tormented by, by demons. Uh, and Jesus came to him and he drove them out. That set him free. It changed his life. When uh, Nicodemus came to, uh, when one of the teachers of the law came to Jesus, and he was really, you know, he had followed religion his whole life, uh, and he saw something true about Jesus, and he came up to him and asked him, what, um, you know, what must I do to, uh, to obtain eternal life? I might be mixing up two things, but, but stay with me here. Uh, Jesus says, well, you have to be born again. And uh, he says, how can I be born again? So Jesus was overturning kind of the religious uh, view of, of the spiritual life. He was overturning the maps he's made about God and saying, you need to think about something new. The rich, the rich young ruler came up to Jesus and wanted to follow him. And uh, Jesus said, uh, give everything away and then follow me. Uh, don't take all of this stuff with you. He prohibited him the, uh, from taking things because uh, he knew that was standing in the way. And in the end, the rich young ruler couldn't, um, couldn't follow all the way. So... In a sense, these actions were necessary for freedom. They were necessary for to, to make the house of God in its most simplest form a, a communication between God and people. And when there's pure, simple communication from God and people, all nations can't resist that. It's impossible. I was having a conversation with uh, one of my friends who's a, a filmmaker and a professor um, of film. And he was asking me, oh, what projects are you working on? And uh, at the time, I, I was awaiting for the seed film to come out. And so I was like, oh, I, I, just, I just filmed seed. And he was like, oh, what's that about? Oh, it's um, a movie about a restaurant that our church started. Oh, what's that restaurant about? Wait a minute, what's your church about? Wow, I um, usually when I have conversations about faith, I feel separated. I, I feel like there's no connection. But whatever you guys are doing is good. 
I want to be a part of that. And that's just simple communication. People cannot resist the heart of God and truth. Another story that I have um, kind of parallels um, what was happening in this scene. Um, Last year around Christmas, it was a super busy time for um, associate pastor uh, Antonio. Um, We we were... (laughs) Uh, we were moving our offices from one office to the other, and um, I was filming Seed, and I was waking up at 4.30 in the morning so I could get on set at 5.30 in the morning uh, so I could film till 9, and then I would go to the church and organize stuff. Um, and I think around that time, I, I also filmed an episode of Hoi Five O. And then we were planning for all of like the, the beautiful, wonderful festivities going on in the church season. Um, so that was a, that was a lot of stuff. Um, and in the midst of the move, uh, we have to get internet because, you know, without internet, what's the point of having an office? Um, and, and it was my job to kind of get, get the internet. So uh, the day of the Christmas concert, um, Time Warner says, oh, perfect, we can set up internet in your office this time. And they call, like, I don't know, three weeks prior. And I was like, don't you have another time? He's like, that's the, that's the first time we can get, so um, take it or leave it. And I was like, oh, man, uh, so I'll take it. Um, so I think I, 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 I filmed Seed in the morning, and then I went to meet um, the Internet guy. And then I was, pla- I was loading up everything for the Christmas concert, and I still had a really important thing to do for the Christmas concert, which was to bring, um, bring a piece uh, I think one of the things that the Lord has gifted me in is to tell stories. So I wanted to tell a story that exhibited the heart of God um, for people who were visiting. Um, and so I, I, that, I wanted to prioritize that in life uh, that day. Um, so I was buzzing around the office trying to find resources. And then um, our cable in- installer came in and he was such a cool guy. And he just wanted to, to talk story. And so... Um, we began talking about surfing, and then I found out that he started surfing like in the 60s when it was, you know, really developing. Um, and then he told me, and then we just, and then I had this decision. Do I uh, make space for him? I, I sense something. I sense that he wants, he, he feels the presence of the Lord somehow, and, and I sense it. Or do I do my real work of preparing a space later on for insiders, you know, that we're hoping outsiders come in. And so I had, I had, I had that dilemma. What do I do? What, where do I prioritize? Um, and finally, I was like, man, how can, I, how can I stand up in front of everybody, share the heart of God when somebody right here uh, wants it? Um, so we, uh, we sat down. We had a full-on conversation about faith, um, and he said, you know, I, I just don't like talking to my family about faith anymore because they want to tell me what to do, you know, and I'm, I'm already seeking. I'm already finding place, and, and, I, and I just gave space for that, um, and I affirmed the seeking in him, um, and I let him talk about his faith adventure um, and then at the end, I, I said, well, this is what we believe at our, our church, and we meet right across the way. Um, and if you want to bring your grandkids, like, we have a great children's ministry. 
And, and he sat back and he was like, you know what? I, uh, I think that's a place where I could hang out. Like, whatever you're doing, I, th- I think that's really, that's really good. Uh, and at the end of the day, at the end of the Christmas concert, um, I just felt like the authority that came through my life or my teaching was just that much stronger because I made space for the people that Jesus prioritized. Yeah. So as we finish the sermon, uh, I just want to point out that um, this is Jesus' second time cleaning the, uh, cleansing the temple. Very interesting. The three Gospels record him, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, record him uh, uh, cleaning the temple in this instance. And the Gospel of John records him cleaning the temple uh, right after he, um, he turns water into wine. So it kind of bookends his ministry. But I, I find it interesting that, God, that Jesus has to cleanse the temple twice. Um, we'll read it real quick. After this, Jesus went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples. There he stayed a few days. When it was almost time for the Jewish past, uh, Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at the tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all the... All from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. So it's, it's a very similar teaching. Uh, this the first time he makes a whip, which is much more uh, scary. Um, <laughs> but I find it interesting that he does it once and then he does it again. So what does that say about our life? You know, uh, Jesus probably has cleared the temple um, once, but inevitably things have built up. Um, and I would say that he's probably going to clear it again through your lifetime. Um, so make, a, make it a routine to check in with your temple. Let Jesus in. Uh, ask him, what do you need to, to clean out? At the end of our scripture, it says that all the whole, well, there were two groups that looked at his teaching. One group was the religious experts, and they wanted to kill him. Uh, and the other group uh, was the whole crowd. And it says that the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching. The message says, and everyone was carried away with his teaching. I, I find that so interesting because um, if I was there, um, doing my best in the temple, um, which I try to do, and Jesus comes in and he, he drives something out, he overturns my work, um, I would want to meet him with that. That's, that's the law of humanity, right? That people respond in kind. So if somebody overturns something in my life, if Jesus overturns something in my life, I, w- I would want to go up to Jesus and say like, well, I'm going to overturn... Uh, overthrow something in you, and I'm going to drive you out, and I'm going to prohibit you from entering my life. Um, But in the text, it's so fascinating because the whole crowd was taken in. And I think that's the way, that's the secret in which we have to read this text. 
that when Jesus comes in and he, overta- and he overturns stuff, he drives stuff out and he prohibit- prohibits us from taking stuff into the temple, that we become carried away and we become amazed at his teaching. We feel more safe. We feel more true. There's, there's more time for um, and honesty when we make space uh, for people genuinely seeking the presence of God. Jesus is a good shepherd, and we often think about the shepherd as being meek and mild. Um, but check out uh, one of my other favorite scriptures. Um, let's go to First uh, Samuel twelve thirty-four through thirty-six. Before David goes to fight Goliath, he he wasn't even invited to the army because he was the youngest brother, and uh, he was tending sheep. But he goes down to check his brothers, and Goliath appears, and David's, David volunteers himself. I'll, I'll fight him. And Saul's like, dude, you're just a shepherd, man. You're like, you're the youngest brother, and you're a shepherd. This is what David says. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it struck it and rescued the sheep from his mouth. That's a good shepherd. And, you know, there are things um, when I am in the temple, when I am praising the Lord, there are lions and bears and tigers, oh my, that, that grow up, and I, and I don't think I can um, conquer them, but Jesus, Jesus will, uh, will strike it and, and carry it away. He will make you safe. Let me encapsulate this whole um, teaching in, in this one saying. Um, let's go to the last scripture. Uh, so this comes from Revelation, and Jesus is talking to uh, the church of Ephesus, and he basically affirms them. He says, you're an awesome church, um, but... Um, but you're just going through the motions. You forgot your first heart, your, your first love. Um, so he says, um, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. So I would say a blue water. Jesus knows our deeds, our hard work, and our perseverance. Uh, he knows that we cannot um, tolerate uh, things that would damage his, his flock. Um, he knows that we have persevered and endured hardships for my name and we have not grown weary. He knows that. We're enduring. We've pressed through. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from his from its place. I mean, I don't think that Jesus is saying, you know, blue water, you've forgotten your first love, but I think it's wise to take, to, to use that as uh, wisdom and a guiding force. Yeah. So, so, so let's all do this. Um, let's all close our eyes. And... Um, Let's just remember Jesus. 
remember um, what that was about him that captivated you, what that beautiful thing was, that thing that he overturned, the thing that he drove out, the thing that he prohibited which gave you freedom. Jesus is so beautiful. He is a good shepherd and he's safe. And just, um, just meditate on that, on that first love. And Jesus says uh, that if you have the faith of a mustard seed, that you will be able to move mountains. So, uh, yeah, I just I bless the church um, to take that first love, um, and and that it would radiate out. That, it would, that you could not walk anywhere in the world where that first love is, is shining, that people could not deny it, and that everything we as a church would do would flow from that first love. In Jesus' name, amen.